Right. Good morning. Good morning downstairs. Good morning upstairs. Good morning online. It's great to be here. And we've started with a huge amount of feedback. Well, feedback well done, you guys. And we've started with such encouragement during the worship. Have you been stirred? Has God been speaking to you? You see, God is God who speaks, isn't he? He's not just a God who resides and presides in heaven, but he's a God who speaks. And he's been doing that this morning. And you know something? As I preach, I am confident that God is going to speak to you. That is not a confidence in myself or my ability. It's a confidence in the word of God. This is the revelation of God. It's the primary way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us in so many different ways. But when we come to the word of God, when you come to read it, when you come to hear it preached, our heart should be a light, ready to receive, because there's a moment where we can almost guarantee that God will speak. So we're going to look at the word of God today in expectation that he's going to continue to speak to us this morning. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to Philippians 4, I'm going to read one verse to you. That's verse 4. It says this. How are we doing? I want to make sure we hear this bit. Just, just the guys at the back, just make, I'm sure all the mics on stage are off and that mic's off as well. That might help. Um, here it is. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he's encouraging them to rejoice. This is us this morning coming to the word of God to hear God say to us through Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you missed it, I want to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Actually, if you read through Philippians, in its various different forms, the word joy or rejoice or enjoy features 16 times, which if you even it out, it's like four times per chapter. It's a book full of encouragements to rejoice. It's a book full of mentions of enjoyment and finding joy. And so this morning, we're going to use the book of Philippians just to try and unlock some joy in us. To find out what it means to rejoice in the Lord. That's our plan. But before we get to that bit, let's just ask a few questions just to get a good, solid foundation to understanding this. So the first thing is this. Is Paul qualified to tell us to rejoice? Can he? Does he know anything of life difficulties and challenges in order they can say to us in our difficulties and challenges to rejoice always? Well, if we just flip very quickly to verse 12 of chapter 1, we read this. Now I know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Oh, just a minute. Is Paul writing this from a semi in Basingstow in his smoking jacket, having a cigar and a little sip of port in the evening? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. No. He's not living a comfy life. He's in prison. Why is that important? It adds weight and levity and depth to what he's saying. It's not just a superficial or glib statement of, come on, rejoice in the Lord. He's in chains saying to those people who are free, rejoice in the Lord. And also we know, if you look in in verse 12 of chapter 4, we won't go there, he's been in significant need. He's been, and if you read elsewhere in the Bible, he's been shipwrecked. He's been imprisoned multiple times. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's almost died. He's been without food for days. This is a man who really has given up a lot for God. This is a man who knows what it means to suffer for the gospel. And yet his encouragement in this whole letter is this, rejoice in the Lord. This, we need to listen to Paul when he says this. We need to understand it comes with weight from him. Another question, what does rejoice mean? What does it mean to rejoice? Is Paul telling us to feel an emotion? Bless Anne, feel joy now, do it! Wow, well, that might have been joyful, it might not have been. I don't know, he he looks joyful. Is that what Paul is saying? He's saying, be really happy! Bounce around. Feel really positive emotions all the time. Rejoice in the Lord. Is that what he's saying? I hope it's not. Because that's not reality, is it? I've got a little, little, I've got a little illustration to demonstrate what this might be like. So, Emmanuel, if you're ready, and PA guys, if you're ready, I'm going to, ooh, echo. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to play an audio clip. This is the dawn chorus in lockdown. So this is going to be bird song. Sam's very excited. So if, hopefully this will work. <laughs> They're very shy. That went well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, should we try it again? Let's try it again. It, it, the whole message relies on this, so. Fantastic. The dawn chorus in lockdown. You can hear the bird song. It's really clear. It's really obvious. The bird song is there. You know it's there. Brilliant. Can we try and play the second clip? Thank you. That actually is traffic from Mumbai, if anyone's interested. <laughs> More joy for bless Hand. <laughs> Indian traffic! <laughs> The best sort of traffic. 
So there, lots of traffic, lots of noise, not very pretty. Actually, what happened then? The bird song was still there. The bird song was still exactly the same level as the previous clip. It was there, but there's a load of traffic in there. So we, let's play it again. Listen really carefully. I'm sorry for those who are hearing impaired. Listen really carefully and see if you can hear the birds. Let's try again. The bird song is still there. What I'm going to suggest to us today is that when Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord, he's saying, listen to what really matters. Listen to what's beautiful. Life is full of traffic and beeping and cars and mess and noise that just doesn't bring joy. But the bird song is still there. We just need to tune into it. Tune into it. The joy is still there. We just needed to tune into it. It's a bit like what Linda was sharing as well. You know, I'm surrounded by all these armies. What's going to do? I've got to look through and see what God's doing. Ah, oh, there's a heavenly army. I'm surrounded by this mess. What are God's doing? I've got to see what he's doing. Oh, God's at work. He's still true. He's still good. And we'll look at that in more detail. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, I suggest to us that he's saying in the midst of the deepest and darkest days, you can still know joy. Now, I remember many years ago, and I've got permission from Graham Fiona to share this story, but many years ago, um, Graham's sister died very young, age 17, from cystic fibrosis. Um, and I think the Sunday afterwards, Graham and Fiona and the whole family were in the meeting here, getting emotional. Um, and um, devastated. Devastated. But I think they were the ones who were singing the hardest and raising their hands the highest. Not because they were happy, they weren't, but because they knew the joy of the Lord. Because they knew that their strength was in him. They knew that if they focused on who Jesus was and what he's done, there was still so much to celebrate in the midst of devastating grief. You see, Rejoicing may look like dancing and smiles, as Bless and demonstrated. But it can look like raising our head or raising our hands or whispering in the darkest of nights a minuscule amount of praise. That's what rejoicing can look like. So I'm not saying today, and Paul is not saying that you've got to live life with a skip in your step. That you've got to go around with constant smiles on your face. That's not what joy is. We're going to look, though, through Philippians at what we can do to harness that joy, to really learn what it means to rejoice in the Lord. But before we do, one more question. Why should we rejoice? Why? Why is Paul telling the Philippian church to rejoice? Well, this is the first church in Europe on the cusp, on the edge. It's the first church in Europe. And Paul knows this. They're going to face opposition. As, as Dan was talking about a couple of weeks ago, Paul was imprisoned in Philippi himself. 
And his reaction to imprisonment was, I'm going to sing the praises. Sing the praises of God. Paul knows what it is to be in Philippi. He knows what it is to be imprisoned in Philippi, but he knows what it is to rejoice in the Lord too. And he knows what it's going to mean for this church. And as they face difficulty and suffering, his focus is not there, there. It's going to be hard. There's going to be difficult times to come. It's actually this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Obviously, it's lots more things in the letter. But what comes through, and what I want us to come through today, is this whole idea that in any situation, always, it's always the thing we're called to do, to rejoice in the Lord. And when we rejoice in the Lord, it doesn't change our circumstances. But my goodness, it changes our perspective. It doesn't change what we're facing necessarily, but it gives us a new perspective. For Paul and Silas in prison, we don't know. They could have been walking into prison with a skip in their step. They may have been really, really happy. But I tell you something, once they got there, they knew what they wanted to do. We're going we're to rejoice. We're going to praise. We're going to sing. That's what Paul wants for us too. He wants it for our good and for God's glory. Rejoicing is good for us and it glorifies God. We read in Nehemiah, don't we? The joy of the Lord is our strength. You want to be strong in the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay then, how do we rejoice? I've got seven, seven ideas, very quick ones, don't worry, not full substantial points. Seven ideas from Philippians that we're going to pull out. So if you want to start in chapter one, we're going to go through systematically. That's going to please some people. We're not going to jump around. We're going to go straight through. So in verse four and five of chapter one, let's read that. And in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion and to the day of Christ Jesus. Paul experiences joy. Why? Because people have partnered with him in the gospel. People have joined with him in the gospel. Anyone familiar with this book? Yeah, Steve Wiley knows this one well. Superworm is super strong. Superworm is super long. Watch him wiggle, wriggle, wiggle. Watch him squirm, hip, hip, hooray, for superworm. Superworm is a superhero in worm form. You can borrow it afterwards, anyone, if you want to. The point is this. He's an individual superhero, but you know something? Lizard wizard has a flower with power. Lizard wizard has a flower with power which captures superworm. Dum, dum, dum. He's the superhero who's going to rescue them. There's no joy in that for him who's being trapped. You know what happens? And this is the beauty of the book. See, see, Julia Johnson would have you think it's about Superworm. I'll tell you it's not. I submit to you this idea. It's not about Superworm. It's about the bees and the snails and the slugs all coming together to rescue Superworm. They're on a mission together. They are partnership it. They're partnering together to rescue Superworm. They come together and there's so much more joy in them collectively going on a mission, I think, than Superworm being a swing 
or uh, rescuing someone from a well, or stopping a small child, a small frog jumping into a road. All these exciting stories are in this book if you want to read it later. The point, point is this, we can look at Paul and think he's a superhero. We can think he's out on his own, this guy stepping out. I'm going to be the superhero of the New Testament. And we can, read, we can read all his books in the Bible and think that's the case. But if you look at the end of his letters, how many people does he thank? Lots and lots and lots. The end of Romans is like a whole chapter on thanking people. Why is that? He's partnering with people. He knows there's joy in mission together. So look, what's the application for us? As we go on mission together as a church or as hubs or little things within hubs, we want to do that collectively. We want to join together. If you feel like God's given you a mission, something to step out on, maybe that's something for you to do on your own. But I think you'll find there's more joy if you do that together, if people join with you, if they shoulder with you, they put themselves in with you to push further into the mission. We've got a collective mission together. There is joy in reaching the city of Sheffield together. If I try and do that on my own, do you know something? There's going to be no joy in that. Maybe a little bit. Now Tom has told the story of his friend from work who's got saved. But I reckon people have been praying with Tom. And people have been supporting him. And I know he's not the only Christian in that workplace either. You do it together. You join. There's so much more joy in joining together. Let's move on. That was longer than it was meant to be. Verses 15 to 18. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's in prison. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And then this staggering statement from Paul. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. The Philippians are saying to Paul, people are, people are kind of stirring up trouble by preaching the gospel and saying you should be in prison more. Something's going on that's affecting Paul negatively and they're worried about it. And he's like, I don't care. Christ is being preached. You walk down Fargate sometimes and there are people that are preaching and a little bit of you gets a little bit embarrassed. A little of you gets a little bit self-conscious, thinking, well, I'm a Christian as well. I don't know, but I wonder if Paul would walk down the street and go, and, go for it. You're preaching the gospel. I might think it's a bit cringy, or it might be amazing. That's not important. What's important? The gospel of Christ Jesus is being preached. You see, the message of the good news is so important to Paul that if it, if it negatively affects his circumstances, he doesn't care. He'd rather the gospel preached and he be punished in prison for longer than the gospel not be preached. We want to rejoice in the Lord. We have to get hold of how good the good news is. How amazing the good news is and how much this world needs to hear the good news and therefore get excited when we walk down Fargate far and realize someone's doing something that we probably haven't got the guts to do. It may not be the way we do it, but they're going for it. God bless them. Bless them. There is joy in knowing the gospel preached. 
And when we hear it preached at Easter services, at Christmas carol service more explicitly, when we hear it preached Sunday by Sunday, there's joy in that. Don't let it wash over you as something. Oh, I know that. Yeah, Jesus died. Come on, let's move on to more mature things. We will never move on to more mature things because the good news of Jesus is always good news. For me today, for tomorrow, and for the rest of your life, and for eternity. It's good news. Right, question. If you were facing death, if you were facing imminent death, would that be a moment for joy to rise up? For Paul it is. For Paul it is. Let's read. Let's read. We're going to straight on. So it's still the same verse, actually. So Paul says, if Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you get his train of thought there? So he's rejoicing. He's in prison. He's rejoicing because they're praying for him. When people pray for us, we can rejoice. He's rejoicing because he's expecting God's provision to come. So we can rejoice and expecting God's provision to come to help us in situations that are difficult. We can have advanced joy, if you like. But he's also rejoicing because he knows if that doesn't happen, if he's not saved from prison, he gets to be with Jesus. What's better, to stay or go? I don't know. To be with Christ or be here? I don't know. This is what's better. I want to be with Jesus. This is where my joy is. I want to know him. This is what's going to get me excited is the fact that I might not get rescued, and the worst case scenario is the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is I die, but it's the best case scenario is I get to be with Jesus. He's got a heavenly perspective. He knows where joy comes from. He knows where true joy is. What is true joy? Bring, being in the presence of Jesus. So he's expecting God to save him. He's in joy. He's enjoying the fact they're praying for him. But he knows if that doesn't come through, if it doesn't go the way he wants it, they're still being with Jesus. There's still the presence of Jesus. He says this in Philippians uh, 4, chapter 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is heaven. Is heaven. That's our home. That's why he's excited. That's why there's joy about going to be with Jesus. That's where he belongs. That's where our home is, heaven. That's where we belong. Let's skip into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ or any comfort from his love, any fellowship, from him, fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Make my joy complete. Paul wants his joy to complete. He knows his joy in this. Like-mindedness and the absence of selfish ambition. To phrase it negatively, when there's competition, when there's criticism, when there's a lack of unity, it will be difficult to experience the joy of the Lord. It will inhibit it. Anyone watch the Olympic high jump? 
Two guys, exactly the same height, exactly the same failures. And they're saying, right, you need to jump on, you need to jump on. Someone needs to be the winner. And they, they say this, can't, can't we both just have the gold medal? Can't we both? Just, and and, and then, you know, on the walkie-talkies, check it. Yeah, I think you can. You see, everyone else is like, you've got to be the winner. You've got to be the best. Let's find out who the best is. And they're like, let's just both be best. Let's just both be winners. I'd love a bit of that attitude. I'd love a bit of that attitude for myself. It's like, let's all be winners. Let's all be gold medalists. Let this, it's not a competition, is it? We're not competing against each other. We're not pursuing selfish ambition. We're pursuing unity and like-mindedness. We're all gold medal winners because we're all in Christ. We're not competing for his affection. We're not competing for his righteousness. It's come freely to us all. We're all on the same standing in Christ. Link to that. Let's jump over the page in my Bible, not in yours. 25. I think it's necessary. This is verse 25 of chapter 2. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow shoulder, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. He longs for you all and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him. Not only on, uh, sorry, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. That's a long-winded way of me making this point. When health is restored and when relationships are restored, let's make sure we celebrate that. Let's make sure we don't just dismiss. Oh, I prayed and my headache got better. Nice one. Let's move on. No, no, just a minute. We prayed and a headache disappeared. That is impossible. That's God at work. Let's celebrate it. Or, you know, we've just recently had COVID a few weeks ago. And now we don't. And we can go, well, yeah, that's good, isn't it? We can go, oh, thank you, God, that we are fully restored. Even the little things in life, or relationship, people we've not seen for a while. It's, it's been the time of the season that we've not seen people for ages. And people come into the doors on a Sunday, I'm like, wow, you look a lot older. <laughs> they say to me, I know, restored relationship. Let's not take the little things for granted. There's joy in those moments. Let's not dismiss them. Let's not belittle them. Here's one of my favorite ones. This is um, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is finally chapter 3, okay, technically halfway through the book. Finally, in the, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by spirit of, the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who have put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But... 
Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, and I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. I prefer the King James Version for the translation of the word rubbish. It translates the word rubbish as dung. Poop. Why am I telling this? Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord. And in his mind is this, there's, con- there's opportunities to be confident in the flesh, in who you are. There's opportunities to be confident in your achievements. I don't know, for me, I get a Strava segment, I get in the top 10, I'm like, yes! But real joy can never be found in those things. What's it for you? Where do you find your joy? I'm not dismissing those things as wrong. But Paul says this, compared to knowing Jesus, all that is dung. It isn't, but compared to knowing Jesus, it is. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, everything I in the flesh that gives me joy is, relatively speaking, dung. You're getting the point here. You're getting how the English language works, or the Greek, Greek language works. He's saying, knowing Jesus and the righteousness that he's given me on the basis of his death on the cross, by him dealing with my sin, by him securing eternity with him forever, on the basis of his grace alone and none of my efforts, is so much greater than anything else. And if there is a big key to unlocking joy, it has to be this. Because there's going to be moments in your life when you look at your life, you look at yourself and you can think, well, that's not great, is it? had a rough week, but a tough time, or just emotionally you're down, and there's nothing to, to, to get you motivated, nothing to bring joy. That's life, that's the way it happens. Sometimes it is like that, sometimes it's like that for a long time. But Jesus, his cross, his death is still effective for your sins. He still redeemed you. He still called you by name. He still chose you before the creation of the world. He still sent his love to deeply affect you on the basis only of his desire to send his love to deeply affect you. He's never looked at you and thought, oh, I'll give them a bit of salvation because they look okay. They, They prayed before they knew me, I'll let them come and know me. No, 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 it's grace. Grace is only grace if it's grace. If it's any of our efforts, it's not grace anymore. And when we get a handle in those moments of how we feel so negative, perhaps about ourselves, it's a moment to say, he already knew how I'd feel. He already knew how I made a mess of this. He already knew what I'd do in this situation and not handle it very well. And he called me. And he redeemed me. And he saved me. And he's loved me. Not because of anything I've done, just purely because he wanted to. If you're in Christ this morning, that's your privilege. That's your right to joy. 
That's your big key to unlocking joy. You're in him. You've not deserved it. I can look around at everyone in the room and go, you didn't deserve it. Uh, you didn't deserve it. You definitely didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But we're there. We're, we're in Christ forever because of what he's done. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord, not in the flesh. Rejoice in what Jesus has done. Which brings us into verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Because the Lord's near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let me make these few points quickly. Anxiety undermines joy. It's just the way it is. We, we all, we'll all experience anxiety. It will undermine joy. Prayer and thanksgiving undermine anxiety. And that releases the peace of God. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're anxious, pray and give thanks, which is rejoicing in the Lord. Then the peace of God that transcends understanding will come. Sometimes the Bible's so practical, isn't it? Oh, I'm so anxious, what do? Pray, give thanks. Let me add one on. This is not number eight. This is a separate point. How can we help others rejoice? Very quickly. Um, number one, Draw their attention to all the previous points, okay? There we go. That's one point. Second point, verse uh, 10 of chapter 4 has got something for us there as well. How do we help others rejoice? So Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Show concern for others. It brings joy. Paul rejoiced greatly because they renewed their concern for him. As I mentioned before, as a family, we have the joy of going through COVID. 24 days <laughs> stretched out over six people. Within three days, we had a care package arriving in the form of, this is like Colin the Caterpillar care package. Now, for those who have not come across Colin the Caterpillar, it's a special place in the hearts of the staff team at City Church, because every birthday he comes out, or some form of Colin the Caterpillar, other, other versions are available. But this was a genuine Colin the Caterpillar care package. And it wasn't just Colin the Caterpillar coming out to give us a little chocolatey cuddle. No, no, no. Six little Colin the Caterpillars, like Swiss rolls, come out as well. Whew. Packet of Colin the Caterpillar chocolate faces. Oh, dream world. No more. Three packets of Colin the Caterpillar sweets. And as the person who sent it to us, if in doubt, throw sugar at it. Not the best, not the best mantra for all people if you've got diabetes and if you're struggling processing, not the best thing. But for us, it was a great, great thing. Throw sugar at it. Well, why am I saying that? Do you know something? It wasn't just that we were eating copious amounts of chocolate and sugar that gave us great joy. It was the care and concern. And that was just one of many things that happened. 
And I was preparing for this message, and I was just seeing the reality of this, of believers gathering around us in our situation and saying, what can we do? If you want to bring joy to others, sometimes in some situations you don't know what to say, just show concern in the best way you know possible, and in some small way that will spark godly joy in them. Right, let's wrap this up. How are we going to wrap it up? We're going to test the tech out again. I'm saying that now and then walking for a few minutes just to give the guys a chance. Although, yeah, the echoes come in. Okay, so we're just going to listen to another bit of bird song. It's going to be slightly different. See, see if Sam can identify this bird, okay? Right, let's go for it. Thanks, guys. I like the echo. We're on the moon. Anyone know what that bird was? Sam, yes? I can't hear you. A willow warbler. Oh, I wish it was. Because that is not only the best name in the world for a bird. I think they could be a lot better than this one. Anyone else know what it was? It was a bird of prey. Well, I can hear someone saying it. Hmm? An eagle, no? A sparrowhawk. It was a sparrowhawk. That's right. And I was like, this is, this is now, so this is now back garden. About six weeks ago, I was hearing that noise and looking around, and two sparrowhawks are flying about maybe 30 meters away from the back garden. I was like, wow, birds of prey in suburban Sheffield. This is amazing. It's amazing. Wow. What I didn't realize was this. Little garden birds get eaten by sparrowhawks. which means little garden birds that have been producing nice noises in my garden disappeared. Which meant, in a really weird way, you stopped and you listened, and there was no bird song in Rivlin Valley. It had totally disappeared. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this for this reason. There are moments in our lives when the bird song totally disappears when the sparrowhawks come in, and there is no joy whatsoever. There are moments when it totally disappears. And I want to give you permission to know that's true. Because I've been saying this this morning, and some of you will be feeling, some of you are in that moment now, there is no joy. I can't do that. I can't get there. I can't, I can't rejoice in the Lord in this moment. The sparrowhawks, you know something, they sometimes come in, and the, and the bird song disappears. What do we do when those moments come? Using this analogy, I'm going to give us some ideas. I, I'm, it's complex, it's difficult, I don't really know. I'm not standing here pretending I've got all the answers. But this is what I noticed in that moment. If I got up really early, there were still birds there. So that's the solution. Set your alarm clock earlier. No. <laughs> in the midst of times when there is no joy, there is still joy. There may be a flicker. It may be an instant, it may be a moment, but make the most of those moments. Recognize this is the joy of the Lord here in this moment when a rainbow has come out. I don't use it as a, a cheesy image, but just going, oh, wow, yeah, that's God's promises. And then it gets nipped away and you can think, oh, I'm just not, not knowing joy at the moment. Actually, there's still a little bit of joy there. Make the most of those moments. 
If I really wanted to hear birdsong, an easy solution for me would be to go somewhere else rather than sit in my garden. Go where the sparrowhawks aren't. And maybe that is something that helps you in your situation. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to do something different. If... Now, you've got to have wisdom. You've got to hear God on this. I'm not telling you to do anything. That's the precursor. But sometimes it involves a big decision and a big change. Sometimes the issue, it's a work issue. Work, you just need to change your work. Sometimes you need to move house. These are big things. I'm not saying that you should do them. But if the sparrowhawks have come and the joy isn't there, maybe sometimes you need to make a big decision about something. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to stop. Maybe it's a a hobby that needs to stop. I don't know. I I can't tell you because it's so nuanced and complex for you. But in this analogy, a big decision would need to be made if I really want to hear the bird song. What else can we do? And this is what I started doing. I started praying that the sparrowhawks would disappear. Now, you might say, like Chris was pointing out, that that's impossible. Why would the sparrowhawks disappear? Well, they may come and go, they may not. But I was, I was preparing for this and going, God, I want to know, I want to know that the sparrowhawks can go. I'm going to be bringing a message on a Sunday morning in September, and I know people are going to sit there and identify with that analogy, that the sparrowhawks are there. And they're going to want to know, will the sparrowhawks go? Am I living with them forever? We came back from holiday a few days ago. I've not heard them. They're not there anymore. And this morning, as I was preparing my breakfast, I looked out on our garden feeder, and there was a little bird, a little sparrow, feeding from our garden feeder, which had not happened. I can't, can't believe I'm crying about a bird taking a seed out of a garden, of a bird feeder. But you get the point why I'm emotional. You get the point. There was a bird, just one sparrow, feeding off our garden feeder. But why? Because the sparrowhawks have gone. I'm hoping there's much for us all, including myself, to learn today about how we rejoice in the Lord. But, band, if you'd like to come up, we're going to do that through singing. But for some of you, you might do that through sitting and just raising your head. You see, I'm not saying, let's have a super-duper, hyper, skippity-jumpity, hands-in-the-air worship time. If you want to do that, go for it. If you're at home, you could definitely go for it because no one's going to see you. You can do it in your pyjamas. Put your coffee down. We know you've still got it. You've probably got your second one now. You put it down and you can really go for it. If you've never danced in your own living room like a crazy fool, now is the moment to do that. But I'm not telling you you have to do it. You see, what rejoicing looks like for you in your situation is going to be completely different to what rejoicing looks like for me. Because the level of difficulty and challenge and grief that I'm facing is different to the level that you're facing. So we're all going to rejoice in the Lord. And for some of you, it might just be a moment where you stop. Breathe, and you just lift your head to focus on Jesus completely for the first time in years. For some of you, you might just want to skip around the room. You have full permission from me to do that. Just watch out for the camera. It's going to make him seasick at home. But after we've sung, this is what we're going to pray for. We're going to pray 
for sparrowhawks to go and for the bird song to return. So let's, let's worship, let's rejoice, let's praise.